0: You're listening to A Mamma Mia podcast From Mamma Mia Hi, I'm Claire Murphy Welcome to The Quickie Getting you up to speed daily Mamma Mia recently sent out a survey To find out how you're feeling About the upcoming federal election One of the questions asked you to rank the top five issues that will decide your vote. The one that came in top? Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. So today, we've invited the major parties and an independent to tell us where they stand on the issue and see whether they stack up where it comes to halting global warming, cutting emissions, and if they can do so while also balancing jobs and the economy. In the recent Mamma Mia! Votes survey, nearly 70% of the over 4,600 respondents said climate change was their number one issue leading into the 2022 federal election. With catastrophic bushfires and unprecedented flooding, it's no surprise that the state of our environment and the moves we're making to ensure the country doesn't become unlivable are a priority for many. The Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change, or the IPCC, this week published a report which focused on substantial and rapid cuts to global emissions needed to limit global warming to safer levels. It found that switching to lower-cost renewables would be not only one of the cheapest ways to achieve that, but it would also have a more significant impact. However, it also warned that there are some governments across the globe who have vested interests in keeping the fossil fuel industry alive, holding back the renewables transition. Australia was singled out as one of those governments who's been heavily influenced by lobbying from fossil fuel industries.
1: One factor limiting the ambition of climate policy has been the ability of incumbent industries to shape government action on climate change. Incumbent industries are often more concentrated than those benefiting from climate policy and lobby more effectively to prevent losses than those who will gain. Drawing upon wider networks, campaigns by oil and coal companies against climate action in the US and Australia are perhaps the most well-known and largely successful of these.
0: The Secretary-General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, has previously singled out Australia as being a holdout on emissions.
2: If we continue with more of the same, we can kiss 1.5 goodbye. Even two degrees may be out of reach. And that would be catastrophe. If you want to stop global warming, we need to go to the source, the G20. The developed and emerging economies of the G20 account for 80% of all global emissions. A growing number of G20-developed economies have announced meaningful emissions reductions by 2030 with a handful of holdouts, such as Australia.
0: It's believed he was also focusing on Australia in the speech given this week off the back of the IPCC report, as our government has approved many new fossil fuel projects.
2: We left COP26 in Glasgow with a naive optimism based on new promises and commitments. But the main problem, the enormous growing emissions gap, was all but ignored. And the science is clear. To keep the 1.5 degree limit agreed in Paris within reach, we need to clap global emissions by 45% this decade. But current climate pledges would mean a 14% increase in emissions. And most major emitters are not taking the steps needed to fulfill even these inadequate promises. Climate activists are sometimes depicted as dangerous radicals. But the truly dangerous radicals are the countries that are increasing the production of fossil fuels. Investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure is moral and economic madness.
0: So how does our government respond to this? Angus Taylor is the Federal Coalition Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction. Minister, we keep being singled out as not doing enough to cut emissions and for our continued partnerships with the coal and gas industries. What do you say to that?
3: Well, I'd point straight to our track record, Claire, and this is enormously important. We have a strong track record. We beat our Kyoto UN 2020 targets by almost a year's worth of emissions. Our emissions are down 20% on 2005 levels. And to put that into perspective, the most comparable countries in the world, Canada and New Zealand, big commodity exporters like us, their emissions have barely moved since 2005. Ours are down 20%. That's faster than not just... New Zealand and Canada, but the United States, Japan, the OECD average, and obviously coming down much faster than China, where we're seeing them escalating very fast.
0: Can I ask you about our track record? As you just mentioned, every time that's brought up, somebody fact checks it and says that if you remove something like land clearing, which is what the majority of emissions reductions is coming from and is not government policy, our emissions reduction is actually not on track. What do you say to that?
3: Well it's wrong. I mean first of all the work that farmers have done is important. It's recognised by the UN and it is absolutely central in global carbon accounting systems. The second point I'd make is there are other areas where we're making enormous gains. We are leading the world in the deployment of solar. And the other area where we've led the world is energy efficiency. Of course LED lighting is a an obvious one that people will be very conscious of, but in so many other areas Australians have been quick to take up energy efficiency technologies. Lots of people like to talk Australia down. I think that's unfortunate. We have a very good story to tell.
0: What about the relationship that the Australian government has with fossil fuel industries? There is a perception that the donations that they make to your party influence the policy-making decisions where it comes to climate change. How do you respond to that?
3: I take my decisions by listening to advice from my department and consulting widely with my colleagues with stakeholders but you know we've made the decision to go to net zero we've set that target we've set and we've beaten our 2020 and 2030 targets there's some stakeholders who would prefer we didn't do that I understand that we, we've done it because it's the right thing to do and we will do what is right for Australia and right to get to sensible goals in sensible ways.
0: If your government is re-elected Would you seek to reduce, say, our emissions target or our net zero target if you are re-elected or are we sticking to our current targets past that?
3: Well, you can't do much better than net zero. I mean, net zero is our target and, of course, that won't be changing. What we do seek to do every year is better than the year before. We're always seeking to improve. Now, since we got into government in 2013, we have improved our position versus our 2020 targets and our 2030 targets Every year. We put out an update each year towards the end of the year around the time of the UN COP conference. And that update tells everyone in the world exactly where we're at. No other country does it with this level of transparency. And we've always improved and I'm confident we'll continue to improve year on
0: year. We're looking at the state of Australia's environment right now. We've seen unprecedented flooding. We've had catastrophic bushfires. It's very obvious that climate change is having an impact already and we're being told by scientists that that window is closing for us to do more in order to avoid even worse situations for humanity. Do you understand why it feels hard for people to trust that they're getting all the information and the right information at this point when we're seeing our environment collapse and we're hearing that there are reports on the state of our environment that we're not allowed to know the details of at this point? Can you see how the trust is difficult to establish there?
3: Let me be very clear about this. We accept that the climate around the world is changing. We accept that that is happening and we need to act. But as I say, the facts are the place where I start, and that is always and finish, and and that is absolutely crucial. The fundamental problem in reducing emissions, and President Biden has recently put this very clearly, and the point he made was that the United States and other developed countries could take their emissions to zero tomorrow, and it still wouldn't stop climate change from happening. And the reason for that is the developing world has emissions growing so fast. China alone has emissions just under a third of the world's total and rising fast. All of the developed countries combined are around a third and falling. So we have to help the developing countries bring down their emissions if we're going to see the outcomes we all want to see.
0: So can anyone handle Australia's response to climate change better than the current government? Adam Bant is the federal member for Melbourne and leader of the Australian Greens. Adam, one of the criticisms that the Greens cop when it comes to climate change policy is that you'll go too hard too fast in phasing out the fossil fuel industries, which will put jobs and the economy at risk. What do you say to that?
1: Well, the climate crisis is happening very fast and very quickly and hitting people in a way that's devastating, that's taking lives and livelihoods, and we're seeing that from the bushfires, we're seeing that from the floods, So, you know, really, as a society, we should have started acting 30 years ago, but the second best time to act is now. And what the scientists are telling us is that we've got a closing window to tackle the climate crisis. And that window is probably about the next 10 years. And during that next 10 years, if we don't cut pollution enough, then climate change may become like a runaway chain reaction and something that our kids and our grandkids won't be able to stop. So what we're pushing for is what the science says. But look, you're right, we've got to do it in a way that looks after coal and gas communities because it's not coal and gas workers who are causing the climate crisis, it's coal and gas. And um, So what we've been pushing for this election is a fully costed plan to say, let's get out of coal and gas in the time the science requires, but do it in a way that looks after those communities and make sure that workers move into new jobs without losing pay or security.
0: If there's one way that people kind of get a better understanding of the climate crisis is through our emissions reductions targets. What would the Greens want to commit to compared to what the government right now is committing for our emissions targets?
1: What the scientists and analysts have said is that for Australia to do its fair share, Australia would need to cut its pollution by between 50 and 74% by 2030. The Liberals are talking about 26% and Labor's talking about 43%. So both of them have just given up on the science and given up on the Paris Agreement and not even doing what the experts advise. The Greens are based in the science. We want to limit global heading to one and a half degrees, which is why our target is for 75% by 2030, consistent with that scientific advice and net zero by 2035. But the others aren't even in the range of what the science says, which is really disappointing.
0: Do we need to quickly phase out coal and gas, and how do we support those industries through that transition?
1: Coal and gas are the leading causes of the climate crisis, and gas is as dirty as coal. As A lot of people might have heard the marketing that somehow it's cleaner, but when you take into account all of the pollution that comes from the life cycle of it, including what gets leaked out into the atmosphere through toxic methane, gas is as dirty as coal, but both those coal and gas corporations do make big donations to our government and our opposition parties. And so they tend to get a pretty good run in parliament, even though they're the causes of the climate crisis.
0: Do the Greens get any funds from any companies involved in
1: fossil fuels? No, we don't. And we've got a pretty strict donations policy and we don't take donations from those big corporations. The others do. Labor and Liberal take millions of dollars in donations from the coal and gas corporations, which is why in this budget and this election in particular, when we should be saying now is the time to talk about how quickly we're going to get out of coal and gas and onto renewables and into other areas. Instead, we've got them actually talking about opening up new projects. There's 114 new coal and gas projects on the books in Australia at the moment, and Liberal and Labor are backing them and um, they're not talking about it going to the election and you can't put the fire out while you're pouring petrol on it.
0: One of the other criticisms that the Greens will cop is that it's very unlikely you'll ever win a majority in Parliament and that you'll consistently have to work with whatever government is in power at the time. How do you get some of these policies over the line when you're not the ones in charge?
1: One of the things about this election is that it's going to be pretty close and I think there's every chance we're going to end up in a parliament that's a power-sharing parliament where those third voices, including the Greens, have to be listened to. I think it's likely that neither Labor or Liberal are going to get a majority of seats, but that will certainly be the case in the Senate. And what that means is that people have got to cooperate to get legislation through. And I think on something as critical as climate, after the next election, after we've turfed what I think is a rotten government out, there will be a really strong push from people to say, look, whether or not you've got a majority, you've got to come together across party lines to tackle the climate crisis, because this is going to affect us all.
0: The Greens are considered one extreme end of climate action to the coalition's other side. So where does Labor sit in this debate? Chris Bowen is the ALP Federal Member for McMahon and Shadow Minister for Climate Change and Energy. Mr Bowen, we just heard from the Leader of the Greens about the science saying we need to cut emissions by 50 to 74%. Labor's target is 43%. Can you talk us through why 43% and not higher as the science is telling us we need to be?
4: 43% is the result of our policy. So, yes, it's our target, very clearly our target, and we will tell the IPCC that on coming to office if we win but it's also the result of our policy so would you respect to adam you know anybody can pick a target and say we'll get this or we'll get that you've got to explain how uh, as a party of government we do that so we've got a lot of policies we've released our safeguards policy for example rewiring the nation electric vehicle tax cuts solar banks public service net zero by 2030 all those add up to 43 percent the second point i'd make is that uh, we're starting in 2022. Now, yes. If we'd started in 2019 or 2016 or 2013, uh, you would have more scope. But starting in 2022, after nine years of delay and denial from the Liberal and National Party, makes this a very ambitious task. 43% also the minimum required to get to net zero by 2050, all the scientists say. So you're not really committed to net zero by 2050 if you're not committed to 43% by 2030, but it's also the result of the policy. So it's a tug with teeth. That's the difference.
0: Is part of Labor's policy to completely phase out fossil fuel creation, phase out coal and gas?
4: Well, what we've said is that the market will make those choices and the market is making that choice. And I've been very honest, from my first day as climate change shadow minister, the market will determine the future of coal mining, for example, and the rest of the world is changing. I mean, 80% of our trading partners are committed to net zero. That does mean that communities that are very reliant on coal need to consider economic changes and be investing in the future, investing in renewable energy.
0: What is Labor's relationship with the coal and gas companies? Does the party accept major donations from them and how are we to trust that you're looking to phasing these fossil fuels out if that relationship is in place?
4: Well, we need to be all in, and that includes fossil fuel companies. I mean, they need to be making the transition as well. We don't have the luxury of paying tribal politics and say, we're not going to talk to that person or this person. This task is so big. I spend more time with renewable energy companies than I do traditional fossil fuel industry companies. And donations to the Labor Party make absolutely no impact on our policy. Hence, we have a policy of 82% renewable energy by 2030, for example. I guess the main point I'd make is it's all very well for the Greens to say, well, we won't talk to fossil fuel companies. We've got to be working together, all of us, making the transition
0: how is the Labor Party dealing with their past when it comes to things like the climate crisis? We saw Julia Gillard bring in the carbon tax and it sunk the government of the time. It was used as a weapon against them. Do you think Labor can move forward with some major targets in sight and not have it used against them again?
4: Yeah, and we've done that. I mean, you are right. The Labor Party has paid a political price for our position on climate. No point denying that. It is true. I was a member of the Cabinet, which put a carbon price on it. was a big factor in us losing office in 2013. So we've had good climate policy. The Liberal Party have exploited it, and we've paid the price by losing office. Now, that is a statement of fact. But here we have our policy now, uh, released in December last year, very comprehensive, backed up by economic modelling. It shows a 43% emissions reduction. By 2030, it's got the policies to achieve it, some of which I've talked about, the uh, safeguards mechanism, the rewiring the nation policy, not the sexiest things you'll ever read about, but very, very important in getting emissions down.
0: Mr Bowen, I wish we could make those policies much sexier and make it more accessible to more people.
4: (laughs) Well, we'll do our best. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, just take, well, sure. But I mean, take rewiring the nation, for example, which is a $20 billion investment in transmission lines now i'm going to try and make in 45 seconds investment in transmission lines as sexy as i can so here we go we've got to get the renewable energy from where it's produced to where it's consumed you know it'll be produced in the regions the big wind farms the big solar farms the offshore wind and we we consume energy in the cities where we all live and where the offices and factories are so to do that we need to massively upgrade our electricity grid it won't cope it won't cope with electric vehicles. It's not up to, up to scratch. So we've got to invest a lot of money. We'll invest $20 billion. That's rewiring the nation. I personally find that pretty exciting, but I recognise it. some people would find it pretty dry, but it's really, really important. This
0: election has been touted as one for the independents, and there are a group of mostly women taking on mostly Liberals in a swathe of seats at the upcoming election who are united under the Climate 200 banner. Dr Sophie Scamps is a practising GP in Sydney's Northern Beaches and is now running as an independent candidate for the federal seat of McKellar. Doctor, where is the money to fund Climate 200 coming from?
5: Climate 200 was created to to try and help community-backed independents like myself compete against the fossil fuel funded Liberal Party. So they've got up to now, I think, 10,000 donors. They do their own screening processes. I'm not involved in that at all. But these are 10,000 people from across the country who want to see action on those really key issues that we've been failed on. And they are climate change, gender equity and integrity in our parliament.
0: Well, let's focus in on climate change now. You as an independent, what are you bringing forward as a policy on, say, emissions targets? We know that the different parties have very differing levels where it comes to this. Where do you stand on emissions targets?
5: So I'm standing with the Business Council of Australia and, you know, many of the states in Australia and in the industry groups.
0: So the Business Council of
5: Australia is calling for 46 to 50% cut in emissions by 2030. What I'm calling for is a minimum 50% cut in carbon emissions by 2030. And this is the minimum that we need, that the science tells us that we need to be able to create a livable future.
0: What about the fossil fuel industry here in Australia? We know the current government is approving more fossil fuel projects across Australia. Would you look at supporting moves to phase out coal and gas at this point? Yes, so the IPCC
5: report has told us quite clearly that there can be no more gas or new fossil fuel projects, coal and gas. Our government currently is opening more gas fields and still funding new coal projects and hoping that the old ones still run out their life cycle as well. So we do need to stop that. What the Business Council of Australia has said is that we need to diversify our economy at the same time into the renewables energy sector, because if we don't do that now, we're going to be left behind. The whole world is moving away from coal and gas. And if we don't diversify our economy into the renewable energy sector, then we will be left behind. There's so many opportunities that we hear about from people like Mike Brooks, and, you know, so many different opportunities about how Australia can become a renewable superpower. But the way we're heading, we're just not going to get there and we're going to be left behind.
0: So if you're one of the questions people will ask is, how can an independent affect any real change in Parliament? There is an idea that a vote for an independent might be wasted because you're not part of the two major parties.
5: Independents have the freedom to introduce bills and they have the freedom to lead national debate. So For example, Zali Stegall has led the nation on climate change and Australia has come a long way in the last three years since she's been talking about climate change and the national media and the national conversation has been heavily focused on climate change and that's because Zali Stegall had the freedom to introduce the bills and this is an issue that the government would otherwise not want to be talking about at all. And then you also think about Helen Haynes who has led the country by introducing her Federal Integrity Commission bill. Even a few years ago, I would never have known that the federal level of government was the only level of government in Australia not to have an anti-corruption watchdog. And so the fact that she introduced the bill, that she had that freedom, means that the national conversation once again has been focused on that. And And it's pretty universally agreed that we need to have an integrity commission. And then once again, you have Andrew Wilkie, who's leading the way on donation reform. So, So independents have a really strong role in bringing up issues that are important to Australians that otherwise would just get hidden in the shadows by the major parties. We don't have our agenda dictated to us by the party. The agenda comes from the community. So if you're a party member, there's a party line to tow and you can't go over that you have your vote dictated by the party. A lot of the party members wear pages that tell them when a vote is on and how to vote, and often don't even look at the legislation themselves, whereas an independent looks at every piece of legislation and every bill on its merits. And we can also go back to our communities and ask, how would you like me to vote on this? And so it's an incredibly powerful role that independents have. So I think they're really powerful and I think we need more independents, particularly of that oversight and accountability role.
0: The IPCC report wasn't all doom and gloom. It did say that humanity does still have time, but that the window to act is closing quicker than we thought. Now it's up to you to decide which of these parties will do the best job of that. If you have an election issue you would like us to cover or a topic that you feel needs to be highlighted to help you make your decision when you head to the polls, shoot us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Jacob Round. Mamma Mia acknowledges
5: the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation.